Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Nadena, and this is the podcast where we talk to inspiring founders and experts to get a scoop on how they made their business a success. And our guest today is Kevin, a founder of Keyword.com, SaaS product that's changing how people in the SEO world track and share their results. And in May 2022, Keyword.com became a part of SaaS Group family. So it's great to have you. And we're here to talk about Kevin's journey to acquisition. Hi, Kevin, and welcome. Thanks, Anna, for inviting me and uh, glad to be here. That's awesome. Okay, I know it's your first podcast, so uh, could you please tell a bit about your background? It's pretty cool. Yeah, so I, I got into the space like about 11 years ago, in 2011, uh, uh, 2012. And back then, it, you know, it wasn't even called SAS. It was just called, uh, you know, website with recurring payments. Um, there was no Stripe. Uh, it was very, very ancient back then. And um, I kind of just kind of stumbled into it not knowing what it was and then over the years kind of uh, got caught up to date and um all that fun stuff okay and you you were studying computer science right when you when you started keyword.com yeah i started it when i was uh when i was like uh basically like 17 18 years old and um i went to i went to a university for computer science but then after about a year or so i, I dropped out and I could decide just to focus on keyword.com full time uh, because uh, uh, it was kind of taking off. Yeah. That's pretty great. It's a very interesting story. But a lot of founders would argue that in order to start and to grow a successful SaaS business or any business whatsoever, uh, you should have whether a ton of experience in the industry or uh, you should. Um, try to solve your your personal itch so what was it for you why did you come up with that yeah so uh, how, how i started was um this was like back uh back in 2011 or so i was trying to back in the time the popular thing wasn't SaaS, but it was um like affiliate websites like amazon affiliates and and uh, google adwords websites like so what i what happened was i tried to set up like 100 websites at once and uh, I, I set them all up with articles, and um, and uh, I was trying to rank them for Google. But then when I looked at how I could track these rankings, I couldn't find any good solution. Or I think a, the solution at the time was like $50 a month, which was a lot, a lot of money for me. But I said, okay, you know, I, I think I can build one of these. And, I, you know, I started Googling stuff and piecing stuff together by hand. And eventually, I, you know, I set up like an MVP for myself and shared it with some some people, and they really liked it. And... That's how I started getting into the space and got my first customer. Uh, and, you know, then the affiliate, those affiliate websites never took off. They just ended up dying off. But I started uh, innovating on the SaaS product. That's great. Okay. So, yeah, like you said, um, casually, uh, you got your first clients, right? So that is usually the, um, the biggest part, the hardest part for any founder. So could you elaborate how you got your first users, I guess? Yeah, so I, um, at the time, actually, I, I, this is like a, a really common thing they do now where, where you validate like the market before you even build anything to just offload the risk. Um, but I, I did that unknowingly back then. Basically, I, I built this product for myself and uh, you know, I, I weren't a lot of solutions back then, 
So I, I was on a forum and I, I posted a, a thread there and I was like, hey, I built this thing. Doesn't, does anybody want to try it out? And as soon as I posted it, there were like dozens and dozens of comments saying, yes, like I'm interested. Then, um, you know, I decided to release it as a free trial or like not free trial, but like a free, some free plans or something like this. And people started using it and eventually started um, charging if they want to use like a larger, a larger package. So it was, it was a very organic and um, smooth process, I would say. Okay. All right. Do you remember maybe the first uh, customer that you lost and why? Um, first customer I lost, um, I think I think they were, because the, when I first started, I didn't even know anything about pricing. So I was pressing it um, at like $3 a month at, at the smallest package. So I, I think I, I must have lost the customers here and there, but honestly, I don't even remember <laughs> because it was just so small and um, uh yeah, it was kind of insignificant. Later on, we fixed the pricing and everything, but in the beginning, um, it was quite small. But I do, I do remember getting um, one of my first larger customers, which was interesting. Um, I, I think I was like uh, just I was still in university at the time, and I was and um, he asked me to uh, he he emailed me and he he found out that I was he was uh, you know near near my city, like forty minutes away, and he asked me to uh, come by his office and do show him a demo, and. Um, so I asked my dad, and he drove me to to his office. I sat there. I went in. I was like 19 or something at the time, and this guy has like a huge uh, SEO agency, and uh, I was just so nervous. And I was trying to show him the product, and then uh, he ended up signing up. And uh, I think he's still a customer today, like 10 years later. So, oh wow, that's yeah, yeah. that's an amazing story. Cool. All right, so. Um... Yeah, you started talking about pricing and the packages. So how did you validate idea in the first place? Like, how did you realize that people were actually ready to pay for it? Uh, well, I think um, well, I think with the interest that I got it from the from the market, like they, people were signing up and then people were asking for, uh, you know, more and more usage, like t- to track more keywords. So I, so I actually just said, okay, well, if you want to track more, this is the price. And, uh, you know, people were signing up and signing up, so... Uh, that's how I realized people wanted to pay for it. Okay, so again, a pretty organic process. Yeah. All right. So how did um, how did the price change over the years? How did you validate different packages and realize what's working? Um, yeah. So when I first when I first started, I think I think the competitors were offering, for example, uh, well, first I looked at the competitors and saw what they were doing, and um, you know, at first. I, First, back like back ten years ago, people were offering like hourly uh, keyword tra- ranking tracking updates. So naturally, I put hourly ranking updates, and eventually, um, that just stopped becoming a thing because it, you know, like instead of talking to customers and and asking the customers what they want, I think people are just following the trend like with the hourly updates. But uh, you know, realistically, people don't need hourly updates unless it's like maybe Black Friday or something. But people just look at daily or every other day, and um, so. First, I looked at the trends with the other competitors, and eventually we started talking to customers more and figure out what you know what they actually need instead of just copying the competitors or something like this. And um, and then trying after figuring out how much value we're delivering to the customer, and then adjusting the pricing accordingly. Okay, and yeah, we're still talking about 2011, 2012, right? You said you started. Uh putting some pieces together for an MVP. So how did Keyword.com look at first? Um, yeah, it was, it was very, very rough. Um, it was just based off, well, the, the first version that went live, um, around 2012 or so, it was, um, it was just using like a bootstrap theme. Like it was, I think it was like bootstrap version one point something. Um, 
and uh, back then it was that was like an amazing template. You know, back then there was no uh, custom designs. There was it was just like if if the, if the website worked, then that was like the yeah. golden standard back then. So I think I think there was I think we put some uh, I had some photos on the about us page with some Taiwans. I'm not sure if they uh, moved there or not, but uh, yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, what was the, I don't know, if, if that's even um, something we, we can talk about in this case, what was the customer acquisition cost? Yeah, so I never, I never actually had to spend any money to acquire customers. Um, almost the whole thing was like word of mouth. Um, I tried to run ads a few times, but it just never worked with the, like this business model. So it was, all, it was, you know, it was always basically word of mouth. And um, we had some posts like around uh, various forums, um, but other than that, there was um, like there was never a way, there was never a situation where we had to spend money to actually acquire customers. Everything was organic, for the most part. That's pretty cool. You say forums, and I get this huge nostalgia about forums being everywhere yeah. about everything. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. Okay, uh, so when did you start scaling? Because you know, uh, obviously, I did some research, and then I went to the website, and uh, it says, okay, so we launched in in two thousand eleven, and then two thousand twelve, we went live, and now ten years later, everything's fine, guys. So, what happened in between? How did you start scaling and how did you acquire such big brand names as uh, Shopify, Tinder, and so on? I think, yeah, I think, I think, um, I think the main advantage was just getting in at the right time, right, right spot. I think when I, when I, when I was uh, getting started, there was maybe uh, two or three competitors. And also you have to remember like Google was only 10 years old at the time. Um, I think, you know, Google like was around, got started basically in the 2000s. Um, and then they, I think there's their... The search engine actually got good maybe in 2005, 2006. And then, so that means like SEO was only about five years old at the time when it got started. So there was actually not that many rank tracking solutions back then. And Google, um, you know, Google back then, I'm not sure what the market share was, but like today it's at, you know, upwards towards 90%, but back then it might've been 20, 30. So it was actually the whole industry is very new. Like back then too, we were using Yahoo, Ask Jeeves, uh, Bing. Uh, so it's still very, very new. And um, I think, I think one of the advantages is just getting so early. So um, you know, when, when one of the big brands needed rank tracking or when they got into SEO, they just had to naturally find one of the, the, the products in the market and mine was one of them. Okay. And uh, did anything change in your, in your acquisition? So did you start at some point uh, going after startups or SMEs? Um, yeah, so I think when we first started, there was a lot of... Uh, small businesses and then like um there's some there's freelancers there's like, uh, so we had like freelance freelance people with maybe one or two affiliate websites and then we had there's another segment like a, a small business owner doing seo for themselves and then there's seo agencies and then there's also um uh, enterprises essentially those are like the four kind of segments um later later what helped uh, uh, us get the larger customers later on was that we started building um the product around around the larger enterprise customers like for example, um, if you, if you just take a regular rank tracker right now in the market, it's more um, you, the user puts in the keywords, and then there's a, a table with rows of keywords that they can see the rankings for. But the uh, the human eye can only parse maybe ten or fifteen lines, and after that, the data is not useful anymore. So for example, we build things like uh, the share voice, which takes the uh, set of keywords, and then within those keywords, you can segment them within t with tags and stuff like this. And you can segment, dive deep into them, and then from there, 
the share always tells you like what percent of market share you have, what percent of the, um, like what, what percent of equity of the clicks you have that's clicking to your uh, website. So, so just shifting from like a table view to stuff like share voice unlocks, um, projects having a cap of, let's say 50 or hundred keywords being tracked to now you can track 5,000 or 10,000 keywords in a single project and you can cut groups on them and then tags further down. Right. So, uh, that just unlocks, uh, that just, that, that product unlocks different, uh, like user abilities. So one is more for like the small freelancers. Um, another one's more for like enterprise and uh, larger businesses. That's great. Okay. Thank, thank you for telling us that. So I, I want to, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your journey as a founder. Obviously you were super young. Uh, you dropped out of the university. You were a sole founder. So what was it in it for you? Like, why did you decide to jump into the business and grow in it yourself? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think, well, well, just superficially, you know, I saw more upside in the business because um, the business was taking off. And then I, I realized, you know, if, uh, best, best case scenario, if I finish the degree, I'll get a job paying like, you know, the average market rate. And I was like, hey, you know, if the business can take off, um, then I'm already beating what the outcome could be in, in university and off the waste like three or four years finishing it. So um, just logical thought process was to go and, um, you know, work on the business. And, you know, I, I thought I could always come back at any time to finish um, the university. And um, I don't know, I just think university is also like a huge like compliance test. Like I was, I was in there for computer science. I was trying to learn computer science. And then they're making me take like a math. Math is fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool, but I wasn't like so into it. And also making take like, you know, art science and all these other courses. So I remember just, uh, I remember just going to guidance council and I was like, Hey, you know, um, like I like computer science. I want to study this, but like, I, I don't, I can't like the math is getting too hard. Like, you know, there was like talking about, um, you know, I could, I like math, but you know, they're starting to talk about math proofs one or two. Like this is really yeah. just like a, pretty complex stuff. I was like, Hey, I, like the math stuff's too much. I don't, I like it, but I'm not really into it. I just want to focus on my computer science. I don't want to be taking earth science and they're making, they make you take like all these um, different fields just to get a degree. It's like, Hey, can I just get my, you know, can I just get my computer science degree? And she's, you know, she's, I don't know, just like they, they're running through the system and then they, they force you into this, um, they just treat you like a, like a, a number almost. So she was telling me, Hey, you know, no, you have to get, you have to do all these other courses to get your computer science degree. And, uh, I was like, yeah, but I can't, like, I don't want to do this other stuff. And then she's like, oh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can uh, get another degree. She was asking like, what do I like? I was like, oh, you know, I also like the sociology course I'm taking and, you know, crime seems fun. And she's like, oh yeah, maybe you can become like a criminal sociologist or something like this. And I was like, what the hell's what the hell's happening here? And then, you know, I went, to, I went back, um, went back home. I told my dad and you know, he has a PhD and stuff. So, uh, you know, he told me, Hey, you know, what's wrong with that? Just get your degree. And I was just like, what's. I was thinking, like, you know, am I the only one who sees this? Like, what's going on? So I, from there, I just made the decision, like, you know, this, you know, university is not for me, and um, just decided to pursue pursue this. Okay, all right, but obviously, you know, uh, like you said, Google has been around not for so long, and this whole industry you were entering was pretty young, so there should have been still a quite learning curve. So, how did you cope with that? Uh, the learning curve on uh, on which part? On um, like doing the business and uh, getting into SEO and with it developing so rapidly, 
so how did you how did you do it not not having a previous business experience oh yeah i think i mean uh, i think i think it, for anyone you know if you really set your mind to it it takes maybe like you know three to six months to dive into any niche um you know aside from like here.com i've also uh, bought and operated a couple other businesses in uh, you know in random niches um like ranging from uh, database backups to uh, lost and found software for universities, like weird, weird stuff. And I always found, you know, if you if you could dive into something, you can. Uh, I mean, you can just learn it. It's it's. Um, and I, I enjoy the learning experience, so that's that helps a lot too. Oh, you make it sound too easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I never uh, said it okay, was easy. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, let, let's get yeah. it. Uh, let's let it slide. Um, but what was the f- biggest challenge for you as a solo founder so was it i don't know getting a cold and not being able to 100 focus on the day-to-day operations or uh was it uh, the idea of customers leaving you and not not being able to um to get the new ones or, or marketing or, or like what was your biggest challenge yeah i think the biggest challenge was, was just uh, my time and then not having to um you know having to uh do everything myself and also um when i when i when i was getting started like first couple of years um you know there was no uh, there's no SaaS community and also um you know I, i didn't have that many i didn't really have any mentors so you know i would i would go for example to my parents for advice and my mom um you know i would tell my mom hey like i'm working like 16 hours a day i'm coding um i have to do all this stuff um and her advice is like no no like don't hire anybody because they're gonna like steal your business and and the copy <laughs> And I was like, okay, this is great advice. So I just ended up doing everything for the first couple of years. And uh, so that was, that was a biggest challenge. But then after that, uh, you know, eventually I ended up getting, you know, more mentors, business coaches, other friends, and uh, slowly by slowly built out a team. And, uh, you know, um, so the biggest challenge was, yeah, just spending too much time. And I think, I think, I think uh, if you think about it, every single uh, thing, like most things founders are doing, like when, when people tell me they're working like 16 hours a day, um, You know, first I looked up to it. I was like, "Wow, this guy's really grinding." But then you think about it, like, what, what do you, what do you, what, what is a person actually doing for 16 hours a day that can't be delegated uh, if you pay someone like $200,000 a year? And if you actually break it down, it's probably like, you know, very little stuff. So uh, that's that's the one thing I, you know, that that's one big challenge, just to, you know, being able to delegate more. So looking back, would you have hired somebody? Yeah, I should have hired someone like first day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, who was your first hire? Uh, my first hire was a uh, customer support staff, and um, and uh, I remember just onboarding him, and um, I didn't know what I was doing at the time either. So, you know, I sat there for like three, 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 six, three or four, five months training him, uh, having Zoom calls every day, and then by month like seven or eight, one day he just tells me, "Hey, I'm leaving," and uh, then I had, I'm like, "Oh shoot!" Like I need to train someone again. And then that's when my, uh, you know, my business coach told me about SOPs and have it in writing and have everything documented. So if he leaves, um, you know, the information is there instead of just in the brain. And uh, so, so I started learning things like that to just uh, help streamline the process. Why customer care? <clears throat> Why was it so? I think that's just the lowest. Um, I think I think that's just the the lowest hanging fruit. Like, um, if you have like a, a telemetric metrics, if you have like a, if you put a graph out to see what takes up most of your time. Um, that you don't like to do and that produce the least amount of value. Like, um, I mean, customer care is very important, but it's it's one of the more um, 
you know, simple jobs that anyone can get into as compared to like a CTO or something like this. Okay. All right. So what was the biggest win and the biggest failure for, for the business or for you as a founder? Um, for the business, I think, um, I think, I think I got in there at a really early time, like without, like 10 years ago. And, um, I think at the time, if I put in more, um, if I scaled the team up, like if I was hiring CTOs and uh, a CTO and a, a huge team from the, from the, from the start, you know, I would have had a shot at competing with some of the bigger uh, SEO tools out there. Like some of them are hitting 100 million, 200 million dollars a year in revenue. And, um, obviously like I didn't come anywhere close to that. So, but they, they started at the same time. And, uh, I think, I think it's just, a like they're right, right now they're so established. It's, it's hard to get into some of the products they're in. Um, so that was probably one of the, the, the biggest, um, missed opportunities, I think. And the, um, the, for the other side, like the great success, um, I think, I think just being, being able to operate the business, um, and have it thrive for as long as I could, like it's my first business and, um, you know, it's like my, my baby, right? So, um, I'm just happy it didn't die out. <laughs> so I know like the success rate even to get to where it got to was very low. Yeah, that, that's a pretty amazing story. And uh, yeah, I think we we got right to to the acquisition. So was Exit ever in the picture? Like, did you start a company thinking that, hey, you know, if it succeeds, I, I will sell it? Um, no, I never actually had that thought until like uh, maybe the last one or two years or so. And, um, you know, I, I just started talking to some of my friends and, um, you know, Based up, but after a few conversations, basically, you know, I kind of got the seed plant in my head to kind of uh, sell it and work on something else in a different field. And uh, from there, that's uh, that's how, you know, end up reaching out to to uh, various uh, potential buyers and then eventually exiting through SaaS Group. Okay, so what was the, uh, basically, the, the last step to... Um to go into potential buyers. So what, what pushed you there? Well, pushing there, um, I just thought like, Hey, you know, is, is this a field that, um, you know, I would enjoy working in for the next 10 years. Right. And, um, is this something that, um, there's something I can, well, basically can I, can I grow this thing 10, 10 X more? And is this something that I enjoy for the next 10 years? So I think I basically exhausted my, like I grew it to the max I can, right. Um, for my abilities. For, for this business and then also um you know like i've already worked on this business for 10 years i don't know if i want to put another 10 years into this niche so i might as well find something else that i that i you know that i another field i enjoy and pursue something of deeper interest for the next 10 years okay all right so how did you how did you start approaching buyers or and you know did you do it or you've had a few offers before yeah i well i've i've um i bought in I bought and sold a few other smaller businesses, but um, not on this, this scale. So um, I was just, you know, I was just looking through. I looked, I talked to a few brokers, and I also um, reached out directly to a few, a um, few of these like um, private equity acquiry firms. Um, how I found SaaS Group was uh, there was a podcast called uh, Dealer Plus by Nathan Latka, and uh, I think SaaS Group was on one of them. Tim, Tim was on one of them. So I just reached out to all those buyers there, and um, yeah, eventually led to a SaaS Group. Okay. All right. And uh, uh, what surprised you, like uh, during the acquisition or maybe after? What was the biggest, I don't know, shock for you as um, as a seller? 
a seller. I think um, I think uh, just the scope of due diligence SAS Group did. There was like two hundred questions or something like this, something crazy, and and then they they went like really deep. Um, you know, like they broke down. They took all the customers, broke everything down by country and all this stuff. Because I the other deals I did was was more simple and it was more just you know, hey, let me check your Stripe and your bank or something like this and verify the revenues there. That's kind of it. Uh, but then there were, there was like a there's like over 100 questions in, in the technical side and the other side. Um, so that, t- that took some time to fill out. And um, yeah, that's I think just extensive due diligence, which is good on SaaS group side. Like, uh, no, like that's what I would do if I was a, if I was a buyer as well. Um, and um, also, also I, I was surprised on how fast uh, the deal was completed. Um, I think SaaS group was, uh, I'm happy we went through SaaS group because it's a very, very smooth deal. I think we closed in uh in like six or eight weeks or something like this. It was just generally a smooth deal. And um, the uh, the legal process was like the contract stuff. There was, there wasn't a lot of redlining. And um, my, the lawyer that I used for the acquisition told me that uh, SaaS group was like out of a hundred deals, SaaS group would be top, top 10 in terms of simplicity. Like there's not a lawyer, there's not lawyers battling back and forth for, um, for every single thing, you know, it was just like a smooth deal. So those That's are just very interesting. Two, two good, yeah. Okay, but uh, you you said that you started thinking about exit maybe two years prior to that. So once you started thinking about it, did you also start documenting everything to the point where you know an acquire company mm. could come in and just just take all the documents and do the due diligence? Yeah, we did. So um, yeah, so we had had about a year or one or two years before um, from the point where I thought I'd sell it and to the point where we actually sold uh, closed. Um, so basically after that, it was like, um, you know, I basically hired a, uh, basically I wanted to um, get the maximum value I could for the business. And to do that um, basically was to uh, make the business as hands off as possible for the buyer and next so it can grow and operate by itself. The first thing I did was I just documented um, everything that I'm doing myself currently. And I made it a goal to delegate every single item. Um, I hired a, we hired a GM. Um, she's amazing, Anita. I think she's still uh, she's still on the team. Yeah. Wholesale, and um, basically we handed out, I handed every single item over to her, and uh, she would either do it or delegate that to somebody else. Um, and then I, I had a lot of me- like every single I looked at my calendar, any recurring meetings we had, um, just cancel them, turn them to writing, or delegate them. Um, so we got to the point where. Uh, we called it like a, the goal with me and the general manager we had was like business in a box. Like the idea is the whole business is in a box. You can take this box and give it to someone and it's a business in a box. And also um, for the reports we had, um, it was like the, the golden star we aimed for was like, it was like if I'm on an island and you can only mail me a piece of letter once a week. So you, you should write what's on what's important on this, this report and that stuff I'll actually read. She'll mail it to me. On this fake, you know, on this fake island, I'll read it and I'll mail it back. So that that was like the standard we went to, and um, just from iterating that for over a year, I eventually got to the point where the business was basically hands off and uh, fully operating. Oh, that's a very smart decision. Uh, so, what was the uh, hardest part about it? Was it the fact that you're giving away your baby, or was it the documentation? Um. Yeah, the I think the documenting and the stuff was kind of fun, um, but uh, but then I, I think it was yeah, because uh, it's I think running your business, especially your first one, is kind of part of your identity. So um, 
you know, whenever you sell it, it's, it's like a piece of you is gone. Um, you know, like around, around my business, um, peers and stuff, I'm always known as, oh, Kevin, the SEO guy. But now after you sell it, you're no longer the SEO guy. You're just a random, random guy. And, um, also like, I think, uh, I spoke to some other founders who sold and I think they have, um, some, like some post, uh, sale depression because it's like, uh, you know, usually you wake up, there's some messages, um, they're waiting for you, people asking you what's going on. And then later you wake up and, um, it's like, you're not, it's like, you're not needed anymore almost. Which is good, but also, um, yeah, it's, like, it's actually should be a win, yeah. So, what's <laughs> different? Yeah. Right. Uh, I was listening to to podcast uh, startups for the rest of us, and I forgot I forgot um, who was it, um, but they said after an acquisition of their company, um, it was like they lost a limb, so they basically couldn't operate for a few months at all. Because, like you said, the identity is gone. You're no longer the SEO guy, right? Oh. So, um, yeah, I completely understand. Um, and uh, what happened post acquisition? So basically, yeah, and this is pretty amazing. You said uh, it was just six or seven weeks, right? So, what happened post acquisition? Did you have to do anything? Uh, so basically, how did you walk away? Yeah, there was like a there was like a a, a three month transition period. Um, so there was like a three month transition period with the with, with like a small holdback after six months. So um, there's a few points, just um, you know, basically just handing over the remaining stuff um, to be handed over, and then just keeping up with any training that was done. Um, and then I, and um, just some, I think, yeah, kind of some basic stuff. Um, nothing, nothing too complicated. Um, so we just basically finished that, and then after three months, we finished that, and then um, yeah, after six months, um, the SaaS group released the holdback. There was a smooth process, um, no issues there, and um, that was it. Okay. So, um, what would you think? What would you uh, tell to other founders? Like, what do they have to absolutely put in place if they ever want to to get acquired? So, what should be um, their operation like? <laughs> I think it depends on what kind of exit they want. Like if they want um, all cash clean exit or if they want to stay a part of the business. Um, I think, uh, or if there's, if there's an earn out component or hold back, um, like if you want the max, if you want the maximum exit price, then you would do like an earn out uh, with certain like revenue targets and you stay on the business for two or four years or something like this. If you just want to walk away clean business, um, I would just recommend making it as hands off as possible, like hiring um, every single role you can. Um, just because, for example, if, if you have no, if you have nobody working with you and you sell a business, well, you're going to have to transition everyone, right? So you're going to have to find a developer, customer support, um, you hire all those roles and that could be a, a potential 12 to 18 month process. So what you can do instead is front load that and uh, do that before you even try to sell. You'll get a hired multiple and um, it'll be a smoother process. All right. And uh, one thing I, I accidentally forgot to ask you. So keyword.com is an uh, absolutely bootstrap business from, from day one to uh, to the exit, right? So why bootstrapping? Why bootstrapping? Well, uh, I think back then, uh, there wasn't like really a big VC scene. I think the VC stuff really got started in like 2016, 2018. Um, after the COVID stuff, 2020 really started booming as well. Um, and of course, you know, like we're now, we are 2023 in January, we're, there's like a bear market now. Um, 
but yeah, I just mainly I, I, we we did get offers like people interested in in um, raising and stuff like that. But I, I just like to have uh, like control over my time and and um, you know, make decisions on my own. I don't want to have to report to someone. Um, I think I think both both ways are are good depending on what your goals are. Um, I have some friends who who did raise and uh, you know their business just skyrockets ten x. Um, yeah, just a personal decision I think. Okay, but I just rem- remember you said that uh, there are big players in SEO, right? That uh, are a lot further along, uh, but obviously generate uh, a lot more in revenue. Mm. So, do you think that maybe if you have opted for an investment, you could uh, you could have reached uh, those heights as well? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that definitely the the chances are higher. Like the market doesn't care about um they just care about the end product they don't care um what happens to founders so let's say i gave up 99% of my equity and I, and I raised like 100 million or something and i deployed all that capital well i'd have a better product and i have a better shot of winning but um like for example the two biggest players in the space the like one of them is doing 250 million revenue a year or something they, they raised i think like 40 million and the second person um i think they're over 100 million and i think they're bootstrapped so um i think i think I think it was more to do with the, the strategy and how you execute it in the market timing. Um, more over, money helps, of course, but um, I, I think it's both. Yeah. I think it's just uh, for a lot of founders, giving up the company or, or exiting uh, is such a stress only because they think that maybe, you know, there is one more step, maybe there is something else that mm-hmm. they can do, maybe they raise money then there will be another big win. So how to how to basically negotiate with yourself that wow. you know this is the best case scenario for you for you. Yeah I think I think yeah well I think if you're raising then that means you found a way to keep deploying capital in a in a in a way where you get an instant ROI, right? So if I had um, if I just had to give up twenty percent of my equity and I can grow the business like five X, of course it's a no brainer. Um I think I think that would be a good framework to uh, decide. Um, but of, of course, at the time, like I, I was just focusing on the one one segment with the rank tracking. I wasn't focusing on anything else, so it wasn't that capital intensive. Um, and I was doing all the programming as well. I think if I hired a CTO and a whole team, then definitely I would have uh, looked into raising and trying to um, get more out that way. Well, you seem content with with your decision anyway. So, you know, I I just wanted to. To see what what's your or your take on the, the whole situation, but I have uh, one more uh, bonus question for you. You know, keyword.com is bootstrap was bootstrapped, right? Uh, all the way to the to the exit. So, um, what bootstrapped company um, do you believe in and uh, would like to have shares at, and why? I love bootstrap company. Uh, that's a good. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I think there was there's some really good companies um, that I follow. Like I think, uh, for example, like uh, ConvertKit, uh, and they, I think hit they hit um, they grew a really big business, and um, in a really sustainable way. I think they, they started around the same same time, like ten years ago as well. And um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good. They got in at a good time. They targeted, um, you know, a good niche with the with the blog bloggers, email bloggers, and. Um, yeah, I think that's that'll be a good business. Okay, 
All right. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing and uh, obviously telling the story. And it was really great to know how the acquisition went. So you, you seem um, happy about it and uh, it doesn't look like it's scary at all. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Kevin. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. And uh, take care. And I hope uh, we can have you uh, again here someday. Thank you. Bye.